everyone, welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, big guest for me, big, big guest for me, not one, but two part twos, Brian Walsby and King Buzzo from the Melvins. Uh, this is kind of like a... A, a real fun, informal backstage chat. It's a, it's a good time. But then more on that in a second. First, if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me at turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com, various forms of social media, at Leftford Damien. There's a Facebook page run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham. He will get the message to me if you send him a message. Uh, if you want to support this show, Write a review, rate it on the platform that you listen to it on, tell all your friends about it, let everyone you you know know that you like this podcast, and, and that's a great way to support it. But this show would not be possible without the loving, kind support of the fine people at Vans. And of course, the summertime means that the House of Vans is returning to Chicago and New York. They've announced a ton of bands like... All sorts of music is covered at the House of Vans, but pertinent to this podcast, people like Pennywise, Suicidal Tendencies, Dead Milkmen, Ice Age, uh, the, the list goes on. Uh, you can find, of course, all that information at houseofvans.com or vans.com slash houseofvans, or you just Google House of Vans, it'll all come up for you. Uh, you can find out what's going on. You got to get on those guest lists early. Great time to plan a road trip. Like, who doesn't want to be in Chicago or New York City in the summertime? There are great cities to be in. Uh, I, of course, will be spending some time in both of them because Turn It A Punk, because of Vans, will be appearing at the House of Vans. And I'll be doing a live podcast there. So if you are at one of the ones where I happen to be at, come over and say hello. We have a lot of fun. I had the best time last summer doing these pop-up podcasts. And I had an amazing summer last summer. Last summer was really, really good. This summer, it's going to be be hard to top last summer, but the House of Vans is going to be a good way to start. Uh, So, yeah, thank you so much to Vans, House of Vans, for making this thing possible. And uh, thanks to you. Thanks to all of you for listening to this thing, getting excited about this thing, keeping me excited about this thing, because I tell you, there's some fun things coming up. Like today. Today on the show, we have uh, a part two. Now, originally, this was going to be a giant clusterfuck of an episode where I was going to have everyone from the current Melvin's lineup and Brian sit down and have a chat. And like the current Melvin's lineup, for those of you who haven't been paying attention, features not one, but two of the best bass players in the world, Pincus and show friend, probably still, you know, uh, subject of the greatest episode of Turn Out a Punk ever, Steve McDonald. Um, and I wish that we had had the chance to sit down with all of them, but Dale was gone with uh, Pincus, and Steve was gone, and they were nowhere to be found. So Brian and I sat down. Actually, at the time, King Buzzo was Buzzo was not around as well. So just Brian and I sat down and decided to have a little chat throw on the record button and you know 10 minutes in king buzzo walks in and uh we uh proceed to 
have a cool conversation. Now we cover a wide range of subjects. A lot of cool stuff is talked about in this one. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to ramble on too much. It's a, uh, it's not a long one by any stretch of the imagination, but like, that's kind of how it has to happen backstage at a show. And there are some, uh, cameos at the end, but I will not go on anymore. I will let you sit back, relax and enjoy. Oh, wait, 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 wait oh, oh, I forgot. There are some notes. Uh, number one on the episode, I say that I have a pretty good Melvin's collection. I'm going to say my Melvin's collection is okay. You know, because I don't want to set the standards too high for that. Uh, also, uh, I will be posting a playlist for this episode. So you can find that playlist on Spotify and hopefully other music platforms real soon. I know I said I was going to post one last week. I haven't posted it yet. Don't worry. The Chris Freeman one's coming. And this one's coming. There will be two playlists. I promise you. Also, you can find me hanging out lately in the podcast VIP Lounge, MVP's VIP Lounge, I should say, which features, um, you know, as the aforementioned Steve McDonald is one of the greatest guests of all time, if not the greatest guest of all time. The only one that I think could give it a run for its money is certainly the episode with MVP. And MVP does a weekly podcast with himself and former WWE head writer Alex Greenfield, and we kind of sit down and talk about not a lot of wrestling. Uh, to be honest with you, I try and force wrestling on these guys a lot of the time, and uh, we end up talking about all sorts of other subjects, but it's fun. We talk about punk sometimes, too. So check that out on the VIP Lounge. It's an amazing podcast that I uh, am a fan of, and now I've ruined that by making myself appear on it so I can't listen to it. So there you go. And also it gives me another podcast that I have to work on each week, so... Way to go, Damien. Way to screw up a good thing. Anyway, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Buzz and Brian Walsby, part two of both on Turned Out a Punk. Hey, that. It's like selective autistic bread um, memory. Yeah, like, like you're you're good at remembering some things, but like you know, like 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 if you have that kind of memory bordering on autism, like I do, you can remember every order of every Queen album up until a certain point, every song in its exact order, and you can remember Red Cross's Rich Brat song <laughs> from the Why Not Wait Life Is Ugly, So Why Not Kill Yourself new new underground compilation record put out by Mood of Defiance. Remember the late Gary Gary Kale. I remember all that. But if you ask me, what is what's your mom's birthday? I have no idea. I guess it's funny how like because like, I'm kind of the same way. Yeah, yeah, it's like really good memory for certain things mm-hmm. and no memory for like things that are probably a little bit more important <laughs> than who was in the band Angel and how how many records came out and you know did Punky Meadow Meadows play bass on the third record or not? You know, just like stupid stuff like that. But it, and it's funny because it's not like you, you want to remember that stuff more than say your mom's birthday or, but it's just like how your brain ends up working. Or like every year I do taxes through TurboTax, you know, and like, I should remember how all that stuff goes by now, yeah. you know, cause I've, I've been like self-employed for like six or seven years and I just cannot, I mean, it's like, 
re- regular, everyday, responsible person stuff that you should remember. I just can't. I can't do it. Yeah. But stupid stuff like you know, even though I don't really have records anymore, I remember all that stuff. Yeah. I remember Rich Brat, the Red Cross song from that record, and I sang it to Steve, and he's like, "How do you even know that? <laughs> I don't know that." Well, Steven's like, I wonder if like I always wonder about him because like, how would it feel to have lived? that life by the age of 15 like where you'd already done more than anyone could expect to do we all i think all of us are impressed with steven's um and that crazy story he told on your your interview about his uh well uh, it's just seems like whoa that is just an intense experience to go to go through for sure yeah and uh, you know to have that experience alone is just insane but also you know to be 12 years old and open up for black flag and audition to be their friends and all that stuff yeah especially at that period too because you're like you know like I, I it was traumatic enough when i went and saw alice donut and the singer jumped off the stage and tackled someone to the ground right like i could only imagine if riot cops were showing up and bashing kids heads in and i was like 11 or something. Well, the weird thing about all that is like I've, I've read a lot of stuff now like there's like this book that came out about the history of straight edge mm-hmm. by T- I think tony tony redmond he's yeah. a really nice guy former guest too yeah yeah uh hey tony I'm sure eventually he'll be hearing this. Yeah. <laughs> He's a really nice guy. The yep. book's actually pretty interesting, but that was just not... I only could understand the first part of that, like the first like couple of years of that, and then everything else that happened afterwards. I just don't really have any... Like, Did it not show up in North Carolina when you were in North Carolina at all? What, the straight edge? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of well, I think it probably did. By the time all that stuff showed up, I was just too old to, like, you know... like. Straight, I was straight edge by default, like yeah. most people, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, cause like, I just never really had any interest in drinking any beer, but it wasn't like I heard a minor threat and went, well, this is how I'm going to pattern my <laughs> life after, you know, this song here. It was like, I already just didn't care about drinking. I was never really exposed to it. And, and it was just nothing I ever thought about until I was well into my twenties. But like the whole like straight edge militant thing was just nothing but a great source of amusement for me. Would you, was, would you have seen Uniform Choice? Yeah, I saw them. I yeah. saw Uniform Choice. They were they were good. They were a really good Minor Threat impersonation. <laughs> I mean, basically, you know, they were certainly better at doing it than, like, Scared Straight was at whatever we were doing. Or, you know, they and Pat Dubar was a nice guy, and they were all nice guys, you yeah. know. But it was like, you know, I guess the reason I brought up the book is because, like, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there about how violent LA was and you know I've since read the no effects book that Mike and those guys put together and it's kind of like I never saw any of that stuff but I and maybe I was just lucky but I was just some you know nondescript pudgy Jewish guy with that, that didn't look punk rock so mm-hmm. maybe I just wasn't worth being fucked with what I mean it could it could have all all that stuff could have happened but I never knew anybody from gangs I never saw any violence and I think when I've read some of that stuff that a lot of those people are really sensationalizing the violence part of it because it, it makes it seem cooler. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure all that stuff did happen. All I'm saying is I never... I mean, I went to shows for a long time. Or it seemed like a long time. You yeah. Know, like 83 to 86 before I moved to Raleigh. And I never saw anything. And that's like that's the prime period for that stuff, according right. to legend. Right. So like, and I read some in Tony Stradage book, like guys like Pat from Uniform Choice, like... You know, yeah, to just wade through it, just thousands of gangs, and you know, it was just it was just a bloodbath every every show. And I went to some of those shows, and I never saw, you know, yeah. I wasn't looking for it. 
Yeah. You know, I wasn't there for that. I wasn't there for that element. I'm not saying in particular that they were, but I do think some of that stuff, even in the NoFX book, I mean, I, I believe all that stuff. I guess all I'm saying is I never, you know, I never knew those kind of people. Like, like usually in those kind of situations, there's always some older idiot that all these young idiots look up to. Like somebody that's like maybe 30 years old and they're like, you know, skank, skanker or whatever, you know, the skanker, we could be in his gang or whatever. And, and then there'll be like half a dozen idiots that will follow them. And I just never was a part of that. I just went to these shows because I liked the music. And that was pretty much it. What about the drugs? Was that like, because that's the other thing uh, recently. Never did drugs. No, I'm not saying you, but I mean, like, was that around? Because, like, you hear stories sure, of RKL I'm, and. Oh, like, yeah, I'm sure it was. Well, RKL and Dr. No, I didn't really know those guys too well, but they were just like adults. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where I was a kid, like, Dr. No, they drank and probably had sex. And I heard all these stories about RKL later, and I didn't really know, know them too well, really. But, you know, I liked them, but they did all kinds of crazy stuff. Some of the Melvins, like Buzz's stories, are just fucking nuts. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because they would have been on Alchemy together, and that's right, they were for a little while. Yeah, they but they but they toured together before any of that stuff happened. But yeah, there were there were I I know there were drugs and stuff, and you know, again, that was just nothing. I was ever I was a goody goody, you know. I mean, like not. I don't know why I was a goody goody, but I just was. You know, we never, we never, me and my brothers, I'm the middle child, we never did anything like to cause our parents to be upset or whatever. Yeah. You know, we just, we, I was just never attracted to that. I was just kind of attracted to being a punk rock letter writer and sitting in my room and answering mail from, you know, South America or Italy and getting some horribly recorded mangled demo that I was going to be into no matter what no matter how bad it sounded ah, ah, the wretched or whatever ah. that's some godly shit right there you're talking about wretched yeah so you know it's 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 pretty interesting and that that's the one thing and I where did your taste for that come from like where are you hearing about international hardcore just maximum rock and roll yeah maximum rock and roll at one point was uh, you know well, yeah, well, you know, I'm sure you picked it up when you first mm-hmm. got into it. And you were like, "Oh my God, this is like a whole other world." Mm-hmm. And that was the same thing. That's like the one consistent in punk history, like that magazine. And Flipside, and but Flipside's gone now. Well, right? Flipside was r- really pivotal for a long time, and then they sort of—I don't know what happened. I think Al, I heard Al lost interest, but also the music scene was—you know—they weren't necessarily covering just what they were covering in the early yeah. days when it was like L.A. punk and whatever. And, um, you know, I moved away before all that, like, Fat Records, Epitaph Records stuff happened. So I, you know, I, I knew nothing about, I, I knew nothing about that stuff. And I still don't really know. Like, Scott Rodinsky sort of uh, pointed me in the direction of propaganda. Yeah, I think that's one of the great friendships that has blossomed in the last few years, is your friendship with, with propaganda. Well, also, Scott Rodinsky, I really owe Scott Rodinsky a lot, because we were, like, pretty tight, and he had no problem driving my non-driving ass <laughs> all over Southern California, and we went to all these shows together, and every once in a while, I'll still talk to him a little bit, and Scott's a great guy. Who were your peer bands? Like, who were the bands that you guys were close it, like to? Like, Scared Straight? Yeah, yeah, back then. There's a band in Chatsworth called Fatal Error. They do records? They never really... They were on a Mystic compilation and got some notoriety from their one song. They they recorded like this incredible demo with three guitar players, just this 
crazy, speedy, like DRI meets COC meets Black Flag oh, that's kind a of thing. Awesome. And and they actually kind of reformed not too long ago, and but they kind of you know it's like what can you really expect when you're like 50 years old and you reform <laughs> your teenage hardcore band now? You yeah, know, yeah. So some of the key members dropped out and whatever, but. Pedal Error, we played shows with them, and uh, we toured with The Grim, Getting Revenge in America. Mm-hmm. America. Head <laughs> <laughs> of the trend with that one. Huh? Head of the trend with America. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Burns played drums, and let me use his really nice drum set. Thanks, Jordan, from 30 years ago. Uh, but yeah, I moved away. I, um, I moved away before all that stuff happened, and those guys kind of got into their other bands and became part of that whole thing and I was on the east coast and definitely not really a part of any of that it kind of has come up like a bunch of times on this podcast how like there is that period like obviously LA is like the largest scene in America definitely in, in hardcore but then there's a period where like it seems like the music dies for a couple of years well to, to those people it died but to me like I don't know if I like, said this. like just in LA right well apparently according to them in LA it died and maybe it did but like I moved out in early spring of 86 and there was like I think the last pure hardcore thrash record I bought that I really liked was that Flag of Democracy record Shatter Your Day I love that record that's a great record that's That's like "Ah." and like you know just like "Ah," but it's really tuneful almost in a Dickies kind of way but super hyper Jello Biafra vocals on top of it and I that was to my mind the last for my peer group yeah that was the last purely hardcore punk thrash record I bought that I was into at the time. And then, to me, it was like there was too much other stuff going on where the people involved in these newer bands were obviously from older hardcore bands or at least familiar about it, like like Dinosaur Jr. Mm-hmm. Meet Singh and Meeting the Melvins, obviously. Honor Roll from Richmond. Yeah, and, he, and you can throw, you know, Sonic Youth and you can yep. throw in, even though Sonic Youth were just more like slightly older guys and one guy maybe liked hardcore and they just kind yeah. of whatever but there's just too much other stuff going on that I really liked well even you guys will wax right like both you guys is it wax or just will wax uh, I, you can say one or the other I guess okay but like you guys even too like Mac had played in Slush Puppies I saw Mac uh, a week ago oh really yeah he came out to the Melvin show because he was uh, courting Steve McDonald because I guess Red Cross is planning to do more stuff for Merge Records so oh it was nice to see him. You know, I hadn't seen him in ages, and so he asked me a bunch of questions about stuff, and it was, you know, it was nice to see him. Yeah, but we didn't, we didn't bring up wax or anything. No, <laughs> remember forty years ago when we did that? That double seven is just fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, Buzz. That's Buzz's favorite band that I was a part of. Really? Yeah. It's like you, oh, you, well, cool. you've been in some like pretty awesome bands. Um, I've been told this. Like you're really like the uh, the great. Uh, unifier of American underground music. Oh, you said that, but thanks. That's yeah, a, that's, that's a nice thing to say. I, I I didn't even try to do that. No, yeah, I don't the, think the last the last band I was in, we just kind of sort of folded and just broke up on good terms. Like, eh. Davidians were fucking awesome too. Like, it wasn't like you ever well, did a shitty band. We did. We our, our last show, our singer Cameron said because we had been around for like four years and admittedly we weren't really able to do a whole lot we just managed to get two seven inches and a 12 inch and we did a little bit of touring but you know who knows why people don't pick up on whatever you do and our singer after our last show said well 
we were a good band. If people didn't like it, it's, it's not our fault. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I was like, I totally agree with you. That's exactly how I feel. I felt like this was good stuff. And sometimes things, you know, things don't work out. And, uh, you know, and I kind of thought afterwards, the only thing worse than being in a lousy band is being in a good band that nobody really cares about for whatever reason. So we all just basically just, you know, disbanded. Yeah. <laughs> well, good term. Whoa. Well, well, it's better that way than, like, breaking up. Because it's frustrating, right? Like, you're, you're doing oh, yeah. something in, like... Yeah, it's booger. Sorry. No, don't worry about it. Yeah. Like, I know... Uh, it's, it can be, like, really disheartening in a way that few things are when you... Especially play. when you're, like, as old as I am. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that really is a, that, that is a factor, you know? And also, when all you really care about out of the deal is just playing, mm -hmm. and you act like, well, I don't really care about anything else, but it's like, well, you know, actually, I would be nice to, you know, you want to be noticed or whatever, or at least make it worth your time. Yeah. And if it's not, then, you know, why do it? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that happened recently before this tour. Somebody at the show, our last show in Raleigh said, are you, are you, have you retired? I went, I don't know, probably. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Yeah, like, have you, at the end of every one of your bands, is, does it feel like Jesus I always is the think, last one? I always think that's it. But this, I mean, you know, I don't know. So yeah, actually, I think I've seen you definitely at the end of Double Negative, and you were like, "Yeah, I don't know if I want to do anything." Double Negative ended. It was like it was like being in a band with a uh, needy teenage girl or something like that, you know. And, and I just couldn't get along with one of the people, and it was just fucking ridiculous. Um, but I'm sure if you asked him, he'd say the same thing back, you know. Mm -hmm. So. It's one of those kind of things, you know, and that's just, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily anyone's fault when that happens, you know, people have a very personal vision of that kind of stuff, but there'd be all this stuff that would, would happen and it would be like, I'm not 18 years old, you know, mm -hmm. how am I contributing to this? So, you know, band dynamics, yeah, it's hard to be in a band, it's oh, hard God, to be, yeah. especially if things are actually happening and you have some degree of momentum and success, you know, so... Oh, dude, like... Like your band, I'm sure there's been stuff that you... That we won't... Prop, that you won't really talk about. <laughs> no, it's so dysfunctional, that's why we keep it alive, right? Like, it's like the... Mr. Burns in that episode of The Simpsons were like, you have every illness known to man, but they're somehow keeping you alive. <laughs> like, every dysfunction. In total, yeah, what keeps what keeps you alive? <laughs> Burning hatred yes. of everything and everybody. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quitting this band. You're going to die first is basically the approach. Yeah, well, I had a kid, and that was the main reason, but there was this uh, simmering sort of eye-rolling turmoil on top of it. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, my daughter was born, and they clearly needed to go on and I couldn't promise them anything so it all worked out okay yeah it's hard like I never realized how uh, challenging having a kid was going to be while trying to you have three you three. have three that's, that's they nuts. just keep coming I got yeah I got one but like Willow has a brother named Noble okay and Noble's kind of like a son although I don't see him obviously as often you know and he's starting to be a really cool little kid like a 12 year old super tall he looks like Chris Cornell or something he's like <laughs> this really good looking young kid with piercing blue eyes and he's totally oblivious to it which makes it even better yeah but yeah just you know having my daughter and you know keeping in mind her brother you know yeah, yeah. it's a lot to to do all that stuff and have children or 
you know, it's hard enough to be in a band with just people, but then when you have other stuff going on outside, like a family and like a wife or a girlfriend, and mm -hmm. trying to juggle all that and not alienate your partner too much with everything, it's tough. It's tough because also like, it's a fun job. You know, like being on the road doing this is like fun until you're actually out doing it. And then you're like, no, it's actually work. Oh yeah, it's totally work. Like yeah. all these Melvin stores, like we have a good time, but it's it's definitely work. And that's that's always the problem, I think. You know, not from anybody really particularly in the Melvin's camp or whatever. Yeah. It's just you'll just hear about other crazy stories that other bands and their crew have, and it's like, well, you know, you're basically here to work. You know, I might, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not really here to hang out with a bunch of, uh, I mean, like a bunch of people like drinking buddies in each town that you don't really like you know hey, hey my bros from this band come on out like I, there's none of that you know you guys tour differently yeah you know like that's the thing like there's a oh look oh well, speaking of touring differently hey dude we just realized Brian's gonna be busy if we talk later on so oh, Brian, yeah. Brian we thought we'd get some talking get out alright thank you man Thank you. Worst day. I'll be as quiet as possible. No, 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 please. <laughs> I won't bother you guys. No, we're just talking like in an interesting point about how like the Melvins kind of tour differently. They do. How? Compared to who? Well, it's all that black magic and what well, Satanism. Like, like I've seen you guys tour, and it's like it's like a it's like a like a crew on a ship together, right? Like kind of. Yeah. You know, like you guys, even when you're touring in like a larger touring party it's not like you guys splinter off and, and you know you guys are together as a unit we have two vehicles on this one yeah internal splits but yeah. not yeah. no man we keep it pretty simple I mean how do you guys do it you have a lot of people in the band first off we, that's, and we have no you got like you got None. like eight guitar no players guy? why wouldn't you have a sound guy uh, because we realized very early that we could go full time by not being that popular if we just kept it super lean and we just kept it super lean the whole way through. Yeah. And now it's like, now it's like one of those things where, you know, I don't know how you guys do it. Like, that's what I think. You guys can bring in new people to the fold and it works. When we try and bring new people to the, into the fold, they're like, we got to get the fuck away from this thing. Oh. Yeah. You mean like well, new people, new like, people to work for you? Even like people on tour with us. Yeah. People to work with us. Like, it's just like the, uh, the dysfunction is so deep. Maybe you guys are a bunch of dicks. Probably. Maybe you're just a bunch Probably, of assholes. Probably, but, but like, you know, there's... Maybe you're just a bunch of assholes and well, don't know it. You know, are there other assholes that may have made it work, you know? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I, I uh, You've been around us? You've been on tour with us? Do we seem like assholes? Yes. Really? <laughs> nice. Well, if I have to answer, yes. Uh, uh, no, uh, but I haven't ever spoken to some of your band members. Yeah. They don't. They, they don't. They don't. Well, I think that's because they're very intimidated by you. No, I think that's because they're very easy to talk to. Well, I think that's because Sandy, I deal with Sandy's, Sandy's Sandy. Very, and, yeah, I deal with my Jonah. Yeah, but I, the other guys are like, no, I don't think I've never said a word. Because I think that's because honestly, Mike. Mike has talked about this in other interviews, so I'm not like snitching on him. But like Houdini was Mike's gateway. Like that opened the door to a whole new world for him. So he's blaming me. No, but I think no, but I think he deals it's your with your fault. I, I deal with my social anxiety by overcompensating. I realize that. He deals with his by shutting down and being a loser. That doesn't work. So no, it doesn't. constantly and varying levels of high anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It doesn't work. No, so, I'm, I'm, that's why I take it. We have a mouth for a reason. Yeah. Some people like <laughs> an asshole for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> One of the guys on this tour, his name is Gareth, and he's pretty sociable yeah, kind of fellow. He's, he's way more sociable than say me, and maybe a little bit you. Maybe he can win people over. Yeah, and he has this English accent, which is very charming to certain sections of of where you travel and stuff. So you know, so he's he's really outgoing and gregarious in a way that I just can't ever be. Very charming, very charming, and I have a lot of people think his accent, time. especially down south in the U.S., they think his accent's really cute. Oh, where are you from? <laughs> You're from England. England. Could I trouble you to ask for? I mean, just that's how he talks. He plays it up. Oh yeah, yeah. he yeah, knows. Definitely. He leans into it. He's yeah. good at it. He's, he's and he's, he makes friends everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He'll talk well, the the uh, the guy at the hotel and. Uh, doing something that you wouldn't think, what? You know, are you kidding me? Yeah, he just did it for me, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he did. He got me a veggie burger in uh, Tucson <laughs> when I was... When you were... So he, Brian was pouting because there's nothing you could eat. Yeah, would you go vegetarian? Have you always well, been? I, no, not at all. I mean, I've actually... The last time about a chicken. <laughs> I actually... You want to know something funny? It was like... It was pretty recent and it was just... Well, it's probably a good idea since I'm old and I probably should look after myself and whatever. Then but I, said, I would never say, huh? Then you just said, fuck it. Yeah, then I was like, well, I can eat chicken. A chicken doesn't, res- best, yeah. chicken doesn't resemble something. Chicken doesn't resemble something that looks like you, like a cow does, whatever. So a I, cow looks I, like you? That's, I how, I, that's, that's how I rationalized that. it. Wait, well, you no, know, they have eyes. Well, you know, chicken. So chickens have eyes? I've seen your girlfriends. They don't look like cows. Ouch. They don't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So what are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> we're, we just started blabbering. We can, well, we can move on, I guess. <laughs> well, no, we could... Uh, well, I, I think So he won't eat a cow's face, but he'll eat a chicken's face. What about... Well, that's the beauty of, rash, of rationalizing. You know, you can just come up with all kinds of crazy things in the name of rationalizing. That's the best thing. Rationalizing's theme. great. That's the best thing about punk. You just make your own rules. And you make up your own dogma. <laughs> I think those animals... Um, or you just animals follow... Animals we normally eat, like pigs, chickens, cows, they're, they should be honored. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely honored because they provide us life. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, mm-hmm. and people don't take that seriously. It's like, no, these animals are providing life itself. Well, <laughs> really that, important. Well, now they mess with them too, right? Yeah. Like they're like going in there. It's not just being like this animal provides us with sustenance. Now they're like, okay, how can this animal provide us with more sustenance and be more disease resistant? No, I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, things have only gotten better. They haven't gotten worse. As far life as food, it's, life itself is better than it's ever been. Yeah, I would I definitely. On the planet, the food sources are better. If someone is starving to death, it's political. It has nothing to do with the fact that the food's not available. No, I definitely. And do do you think we're at like a tipping point though? Like no. That's my fear. No, I don't. So you're you're an optimistic person. I always was. Actually, actually he's, you know? he's very optimistic, which is people don't really seem to get. Yeah, that, I don't. I definitely uh, would I, I never think, assume that. Life is better now, and it's only going to get better. It's not going to get worse. People live longer. And they're going to live longer. The person that's going to live to 150, the first person is already alive. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. That's going to happen. I mean, if you just look at something like, in the United States, Social Security, when they came up with that in the 30s, they said, you can retire and collect this money at 65. Well, they knew no one was going to live to 65. That's why they put that number there. Yeah. Because they're going to be taking a dirt nap. Yeah. At 65, you know, if they were going to put that number now, it would be at least 75. Mm-hmm. 
you know. Mm-hmm. You can make def- it 75 yeah. and we'll give you money. People mm-hmm. definitely live longer, you know? that's for sure. Whereas, so, like, you know, that was a mistake. 50, 60 you know? years ago. Well, yeah, and the idea of someone retiring at 65 now is kind of like a, an alien concept. Like, people. Strange. People, yeah, yeah. were working in the You had to make it to 65. Yeah. 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 People didn't do it. You know? So, you know, cancer survival. I mean, uh, there's just things that have happened that were death sentences. Like lupus, mm-hmm. stuff like that. They're, you know, people don't die from lupus hardly, not anywhere near like they did. If you got that in the sixties, you were dead. Like Connery O'Connor, she died at thirty-nine years old from lupus. Mm-hmm. She, she would that would not have happened to her now. Right. You know? mm-hmm. and there's lots and lots and lots and lots of those things. Mm-hmm. Things are only going to get better. They're what not about going to get worse? We've, we've had a lot of uh, you know? intense discussions in the, in the vans in between listening to some interesting podcasts and stuff. You know. That's, that's another thing that's fun about doing this is that there's always a lot of stuff to talk about and think about, and it's kind of nice. In our van. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. Well, you guys have, what's that story about the two vans one time when you when you set up Dale? Oh, uh, yeah, we, we, well. Uh, uh, that was uh, that, that was pretty good. Yeah, I can't really say where it was. <laughs> no. We get the guy in trouble with uh, Yeah, somewhere in America. It was uh, somewhere in America. a cop, fake busted him with weed, and a giant bag of fake Coke. <laughs> He, the yeah. night before in this place, we he, talked to him. He told uh, he, I knew the guy. Yeah, you know, and those guys didn't know I knew this guy. And he told he went ahead and told one person in the other van. Yeah, Jared, that this was going to happen. It was Jared. So what? Jared's got the guy's number. He's texting him. We're on mile marker, whatever. <laughs> and it was just oh man, I, can you imagine what they were thinking when they get pulled what over? What the hell and is going on? Were you got you were in the other no, van? We, yeah. yeah, we were in the same <laughs> van, and the other person. Yeah, the other day was going down the road, and we passed the the marker where this guy would be, and uh, and then we ended up going to the place, and just I I just remember thinking, oh man, that's just so brutal. brutal. (laughs) Guy had a gun, he had all the shit. He planted all the stuff in the bag. What's this? You know, in this state, that's ten years mandatory. (laughs) Drugs and a gun. And apparently this guy has also done, done this to other people that the band knows and yeah. stuff. And they're other yeah. they're It's really stuff. funny. Oh, that and is a terrifying. on all of it. I would shit my pants. And Dale's like, well, I go, what did you think? He goes, I just thought he was going to ask me for money. <laughs> just shit. Yeah. You know, because I can't think of any reason why, you know, like he's going to go, I want $500 or whatever. You know? Yeah. And yeah. then the road manager was really funny. The road manager we had wasn't in on it either. And, uh, <laughs> He said that they had this, 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 this like cartoon bag of fake cup. <laughs> Seven pounds of cup. What's know? this? <laughs> and, and a gun, you know, and scales, all this stuff. And he goes, uh, he goes, so I was looking at it. He goes, the road manager goes, I was looking at all this stuff on the hood of the police car. And he goes, I was thinking, he might have had that gun, but I know he didn't have that coat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, because you're like, what the hell is happening here? Grover's a coke dealer. Not just a coke dealer, but pounds of coke. <laughs> and, a, and a scale. Traveling traveling with the scale. He's been so working the between, long pawn for years. Yeah, so in between on? drumming, there's this whole other... Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a total Grateful Dead type blow. thing. Yeah. yeah. It was for personal use. Yeah. I need seven pounds of blow. <laughs> How do you think you guys have maintained that friendship for that long? Like you that, know? Yeah. Especially pulling that kind of stuff on. Him. Oh, it's, you know, I mean, I think it pissed him off, but he was—he you know, understands it. it he's kind of—he's kind of a mellow. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a good thing. But that's got to be like 
you know, as far as like rock relationships go, like you guys have got to be two of the most prolific. Yeah. Of all time. My, I, yeah, I would say. I have a theory. What's that? Well, Buzz is the guy that has three brains constantly going, and he takes everything to the engine room, which is Dale Kroper. That's it. Then everybody else just joins in, and every, it doesn't matter who's been involved. It's always good because of that, and these other people find a way to connect with that connection mm-hmm. across the board for the last however long it's been. So that's my theory. Has there any been? Has there ever been anyone that's come into that collaboration kind of sphere that just like didn't work? You don't have to give away names, but like no, I've liked everybody. Our first bass player, Matt. Yeah, I really liked playing with all of them, and um, I can't say ever that this is better than that because that would be a disservice to the people we played with. Because I, you know, we played the big play with big business guys. We played with Kevin, uh, with uh, Steven, with Jeff. I mean, I can't say, you know. Oh, this is better. Mm-hmm. They're all um, they're all really good, and, and um, I feel privileged to play with those people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I pride myself on having always played with people that were good. You know, that's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. I think that there were there was fans of that stuff before, um, especially Kevin, Steven, Jeff. I was already a fan, big business. I was already a fan mm-hmm. when we got so it was easy to do. It was mm-hmm. easy to do, and I don't understand why. Uh, like, like uh, especially with Steven and Jeff, why they're not in big, giant bands. Yeah. They're such good players. It's yeah. so weird. And it's always been weird to me why some giant band hasn't wanted Kroger to play with them. It seems weird. Mm-hmm. Especially when I look at the lame people that most of these people end up playing with. It's like, are you guys kidding? Are you not listening to what's available? Well, there was one big band that wanted him to play with them. Yeah, but I mean, it's like... like, like it's it's just weird to me that oh, it hasn't no, no, yeah. that hasn't happened. That's been twenty something. No, I know, yeah, but, but I, I mean, like that, that was way. But I think also like you guys are. That was before they were ever big. Yeah, but we're talking about the intimidation know. factor that your band has on certain members in my band, and I think that's like a lot of people. You're like the Maybe. band's band. I guess I don't know. It just seems weird. I wasn't. I didn't have any problem asking you know people that I was fans of to play. Yeah. At all. Yeah. That, you want you want to do this? You know. Being, yeah. being outside of it as a fan, you know, it's always interesting to see how people react to that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. Well, like the, I think, you know, there's very few bands that have been able to weather a storm and kind of keep any sort of sense of integrity. And I think that's like why, you know, in addition to obviously the music, but I think that's why so many people respect you guys is because the Melvins have never been anything but the Melvins. Yeah. I mean, everything, anything me and Crover do, it would be that. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I would say. What about other vocalists when that steps in? Oh, I let them do it. I love it. It's really great. Yeah? I love letting people sing. Yeah. One day you got to let me sing that Poison Idea cover. Sure. Which, uh, Discontent. Discontent, yeah. We yeah. turned Gareth on to Feel the Darkness. He had never heard that. I love that record. They were capable of being the uh, um, best band, depending on what night. And that record came out. Did you out. ever see them? Pardon me? Did you ever see them? Uh, I saw them... Did you ever see them back when no. they were okay? No, I, I they never. They apparently they didn't tour very no, easily. So, yeah, they only played here once in ninety. Yeah, nineteen ninety they played here. They played here with Flag Camp and fuck, I can't remember the Japanese band Ashes to Ashes. Okay, well, when you that saw record, them on a good night, they were as good as anybody. Yeah. yeah, when that record came out, that was during. I clearly remember that was during. You had the sub pop stuff was really enormous, getting big. Then you had like stuff like Fugazi, and I was like. 
eh, it's okay. But then this comes out, and that just that record just stomped the living mm-hmm. shit out oh, of. Yeah, yeah. I was like, That's so what, this is I can get behind. You know, it's one of like most underrated records. Oh yeah, it's super angry. And live at that sounding. point, with that lineup, they were completely insane this amazing drummer and jerry like you're you're a big fan oh god yeah. actually that's what, i remember that's what i first thought when i heard you guys i thought this guy obviously must be a fan of poison Ivy. it put the fear back into punk rock mm-hmm. yeah especially then oh yeah nobody fucked with him i'll tell you that jerry no, <laughs> no I, I, I i believe that i, believe I watched that. him a show in tacoma wrap the microphone Cable around some kid's neck and drag him on the stage like he was a fish. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not sure I'd like that happening to me, but I'd sure like to watch it. It was amazing. I think Alchemy Records is one of the most underrated labels of all time. When you go through like all the bands that were on there, yeah, he totally ruined it for no reason. (sighs) Yeah, like that's, but it's like what an ear to pick, like. Like them, you guys, yeah. the like uh, neurosis, yeah. like it's just like he yep. that rich kids on LSD, record. rich kids on LSD. Yeah. We were talking about earlier. Bomber played bass and drums. Yeah, because they didn't have like a lot. That's that's a pretty cool record. Yeah, that, there's some pretty good stuff. That would have been really good. They just you know they just they, you just screwed it up majorly. That hooked up with a bunch of people who were not good. Yeah, and then that was the end. You should have called Doug Moody. What should I do? Here, just offer them a slice of pizza, mate. <laughs> I love how that British guy winds up, of all places, in Oxnard, California, running a studio. Well, he didn't live there. We just never could. I, I just never could figure out why he was interested in what in doing what he was doing because it just didn't seem like. Is he a child molester? I. I, the, the thought crossed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't like say, some, you couldn't say some, he wasn't. Some chicken hawk. I can't yeah, say yeah. one way or the other, but, you know, whatever. You know, you know that novelty single, Stickball? No. It starts off, it's like this guy talking about playing stickball, and then it just gets, like, super over-the-top graphic sexual. <laughs> but that's the first Mystic record. I'm not surprised. With that Mentor's uh, trash bag EP came out. On, <laughs> and, and, and the library. And the live, and live, the at, the cafe, live at the Whiskey. That, that's that hilarious. one of the greatest live albums ever. <laughs> it really is. Some amazing over-the-top guitar playing. It's, it's, it's unbelievable that that stuff was ever taken seriously. Yeah. I, know. I laugh about that all the time. It's like, how did anyone think that these guys were real? You know? Are you yeah. kidding? Yeah, yeah. You can't tell they're jerking your chain. Yeah. You can't tell them. Just whenever he opens his mouth, I, you just start laughing. It's funny. But it's funny also to think that that band started in Seattle. Did you guys play with them yeah. back then? No, uh, I didn't see them until after they after they came back from L.A. Okay. Uh, yeah. They, yeah. Um, I don't know how many of them were in Seattle. You know, but, well, El Duce definitely was, right? He's from up there, yeah. But the most important part of the story is that they were uh, Mystic Records recording app for so many years. Yes. Until Death Records snatched them up. They were the best Death Mystic Records record, record band. They probably were, actually, looking back. Uh, there's uh, there's some other hitters on there. Did you hear uh, Battalion of Saints 7-inch? John Battalion of Saints. At least that one song, Second Coming. I like the mentors better. <laughs> I was a little let down by the Battalion of Saints album back then, tell you the truth. Really? Oh, yeah, I really was. I think you're the only person I've ever heard say that. I totally, I, 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 thought, it, I thought it was just... I you saw him live first. Yeah. I saw him live first, and they were way better. And that first 12-inch is way better. Yeah. The Fighting Boys 12 inch. Yeah, the Fighting Boys. Every song on that record sounds exactly the same to me. Yeah. Maybe I'd think differently now. Yeah. It's really different. It's also your experiencing at the time. Like, I'm I'm judging it through the legend. I saw live when they. 
<laughs> we we played with them like when it was uh, I think Mario might have been even on drums maybe. Yeah, this is way before any of that. And it was awesome. Mid eighty. Mario played drums from Time to Saints. Yeah, for like a brief while. They had one like, that's an off and uh, yeah, hot, hot the guitar player was dead. Yeah, everyone's gone. Except everyone's for dead except for the singer. And it was, was and it was like a, I think he had like a bunch of like kind of that San Diego yeah. kind of gravity record scene people yeah. playing for him for a while. And it was great. Like, they could play, and he could still go. And Right. Who did you guys kind of... We were talking about this earlier, and, like, one of the things that's kind of come up on this podcast is that, like, the L.A. scene is is massive, but then at some point in the late 80s, it just kind of dies off for a while. Like, there's, like, stuff happening, but it just doesn't seem like it's as it, big. It seemed, like, it, it seemed like all that stuff to those people died until they all started their fat epitaph. Well, that's what I think. They all started like their... Which I just wasn't a part of. all those bands like Slug and all those bands over there? Oh, the Flipside record sort yeah, of bands? Yeah, that stuff is still there. Yeah. But they weren't drawing like, like a thousand people. No, like, they weren't doing anything. I like that early. band. I remember I really liked... After I moved away, the one band I really liked was that band Clawhammer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but that's they not... They were drawing a thousand people either. No, <laughs> but, but it was like just pretty cool two-guitar interplay... It wasn't at all like you know hardcore punk rock, but I thought that was like a good extension of stuff I liked. And, I, and for whatever reason, that was the last LA band from not being there that I really liked. I liked their first two or three records a lot. Yeah, and I guess and Bad Religion too starts. I I, I thought restarts, Bad Religion restarts. Yeah, yeah, it gets back to the gnome. I liked the first Bad Religion record as a strictly second or third tier LA hardcore <laughs> band. Like, I would agree. Yeah, but that's not a real disservice. I mean, it was better than China White Danger Zone, but you know. Wow. I know that's a tall order, right? That was all right. Better than Channel Three. Oh, I liked the first Channel. I liked the first Channel Three Twelve. Um, I liked the Fear of Life album, but there was like most. It was mostly SST stuff that really resonated for me. But then that all tanked out too. Oh yeah, that totally tanked out. They they might as well have ended up being Mystic Records. Yeah. Did you ever go to that store? The SST store. I did. Oh, was one, one was guy it, sitting there reading the magazine. Yeah, was, was it nice? Max Beer? No, it was somebody okay. else. Um, and I couldn't figure out what what the deal was with it. The only thing I could think is it was some kind of weird tax write off laundering. Yeah. Thing. But I don't know. People walking into. I really want to well, get stocked up on sales? Tom Tricoli Dogs yeah. records and. Uh, you have any guy, really? How many sales do you make a day? He goes, I don't know, one or two. Two. I really want the painted Willie. Can I get that painted Willie? Um, Box set, yeah. <laughs> and it's nothing like, you know, okay, we're open the shop, it's gonna be exclusive weird stuff that you know, weird wild, weird editions of black flag records you can only get here. No no, it's just normal ones just you can stuff. buy anywhere else. Yeah. Like, okay. So it was on like On Sunset, Sunset Boulevard. Boulevard. Yeah, which is like right down by the whiskey, which is like <laughs> It's not cheap. You could buy those. Uh, you get shorts, you know, though, right? It's not like he was out in. Uh, he was out in. Uh, no. It's all news, but it's really amazing how San like Bernadino how like he really blew it. Like if he just did good business. It's nuts. It's nuts. He had he had, he had all everything. everything. Huh? Yeah. He had everything. He had everything. He had all the bands that ended up influencing all the bands. Yeah. Everybody. And even before that, you had like he he they had the good sense of finding the Minutemen. And fucking Sacrum Trust, Pagan Icons record. That's still an amazing record. That's what else? Record. What else? Um, Meat Puppets. Meat Puppets. Love that stuff. Bad Brains. Bad Brains. Black Flag. Who's Could Do. Who's Could Do. Did you guys ever get approached? Fun. Did you guys ever get approached? No. Really? I would have thought maybe the sludgy stuff and no. I, I feel like I imagine a time where maybe you were trying to be on 
thinking, never of, really thinking, tried of, to be on thinking of writing a letter to SST. I, 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 I never really tried to be on anything. You know? Yeah. Of. But it's like, I, I just couldn't. I can't really handle the rejection. You know? Yeah. I'm not good at that. What was funny is then when the grunge thing happened, we were on Boner and that was going great. We still, we still, those records are still on Boner. Uh, um, I wouldn't take them away from it, you know. But uh, then all of a sudden when all that happened, then we had, you know, 20, 20 labels, including Indies, wanting to sign us. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, where were you guys when we would have done this? You know, you didn't give a shit about us. So, no, we're going to sign with the label that had this Led Zeppelin and Stones and Aretha Franklin. Thank you. <laughs> Take your indie label, shove it up your ass. Like, why would I do it then? To be cool? Yeah. How long does that last? Trust me, are, are not any, long enough. Any yeah. of these labels still around? No. That's my thought. Not a lot of people are still around anyway. No. Good. <laughs> Survival. Things need to change. Survival of the fittest. <laughs> the war of attrition. That's how it works. I think the the thing though is like, you know, the the, the records survive. Like the labels might not. Like the people that try and market it, but the music is on. The music. The music is what is what survived and yeah. what what changed my life. It's yeah. The, and it's less about. I mean now. At this point now, I just say, well, it's really the music that changed my life and not really the format. No. The music changed format my life. format is ridiculous. But if people are into it, that's fine. Well, I, I always point out, it was actually the music, not the... I didn't really give a shit about the smell of the vinyl when I pulled it out of the no, sleeve or whatever. Right that's fine, but I, I just... I cared more about what I was hearing. Yes. I guess. Like Much Black Flag Damage when I first got that. Or the first, or Discharge, Hear, hear Nothing, See Nothing, Say Nothing. That record scared the shit out of me. That's what I remember more than like, you know, how things smelled and you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's just for me. I'm not saying I'm not saying anybody else has to think that way or whatever, but that's it was the music, not not Absolutely. the format. But that's crazy that you don't care about format stuff because you guys are the band that mastered format yeah. for punk in the out of anyone. Well we done tons of it, but I uh, do it because I know that some amount of people want that. Like but like right from the get go, right? Like you guys had tried to. Was that like just? Were you collecting records at any point? Well, I bought music, but I never had a lot of money to collect records. Yeah. So, um, and then by the time that happened, I realized, like Brian, that I was collecting music. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when CDs happened, I liked those a lot more. You know, still do. So is it just these labels that are run by insane collectors? Like, you know, I'm thinking of. Uh, uh, Man's Ruin early on or like Slap-A-Ham early on or Chris yeah I mean we like we like Chris Dodge a whole lot yeah. but like all those re- like all those labels are so collector focused is it them that are coming like is was he like I want to do an 8 inch flexi for you guys or is that you guys yeah. being like we want to do a flexi said, yeah well we, we were friends with him yeah and we were like sure we would like to do something like that but we never had any concept at that point that this is going to be collectible yeah it wasn't at all well, you, like, guys, you guys weren't doing it with any kind of like Master plan. No, you're just doing it because no, somebody just, asked. Thought it'd right? be cool. But that flipper record, like when that comes out, right, it sells yeah. out immediately, right? Even back then. Not very many of them, though. Yeah, but then so that must have been like this is kind we're of a happy collector to have thing. that be the case. But we were just happy to get rid of what we made. Yeah. Okay. Not it wasn't so much like you know um, we're going to invent this collector's market. I mean, it's more like um, that uh, we want to do this and uh, not lose have anybody lose their ass on it. What's the deal with that record that was like, I think it might be on Man's Ruin, or it's definitely a Kha'Zix Sleeve, and you pull a tab, oh, and it's it's a, yeah, yeah. they sealed the record cover in it. 
that was that was a Kozik's idea to do that. And that is that an early man's room thing, or is that yeah, on Atlantic? Man's room. Oh, that was on man's room. But we were on Atlantic, and so Atlantic bought them from oh, okay, that's man's cool. ruin to uh, um, to use as some promotion stuff. In the it was a contest you had to you had to win a contest to get Something it. Like yeah, I bought off a friend who won the contest yeah. back then. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. I mean, that was that kind of stuff was always fun. But uh, um, I understand the collecting mentality. I understand it. You know, do you collect I also, anything? I collect all kinds of things. But I also understand that uh, um, less than forty percent of the records that are sold ever get listened to. Yeah, people don't listen to records. Yeah, they listen to their computer or listen to YouTube. And they don't take vinyl home and listen to it. They listen to it. If they're going to listen to music, the vast majority of it is on a download card or, or an iPod or like you know having a streaming. kid. Having a kid, it's like. Uh, I don't want to have a record player around a hyperactive seven-year-old, and you know it's just you know, so sixty percent of people buy the record that never even gets listened to it. Mm-hmm. That's fine. It's worse things to spend your money on. You know, it's just like artifact at that point. Like I don't a, know what it is, like you know? a boutique item. But you know, we, I always laugh and say, "Well, how many of these do you think we'll make that'll lose us money?" You know, less than two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If nobody wants them, I'm not going to steadfastly make these stupid things. Yeah, yeah. And there's a secondary market. There's a record store down the street right now that has a bunch of singles that you guys put out maybe two records ago for sale for more more money than they came. came We always sell them less than what they're going for. Um, Yeah, um, places like eBay or whatever. Ours is the best deal in town. I I guarantee you that all the people that go up and buy these records know ten times more than I ever will, and that's always how it's been. There's people that are just totally into it, and they know exactly what they want and why they're getting it, and they always know way more about it. You know, just insanely detailed. Uh, is there like a Melvin's collector who has everything, and like you guys had someone who comes who's like, I've got everything. He might. I mean, I have. I'm really good at saving stuff, so um, I, I haven't. I haven't cataloged it all. Yeah, because you'd be an impossible band to collect. I think. It'd like, be hard. I've got a good. I've got a pretty good Melvin's collection, yeah. but I'm nowhere close. No, we do all kinds. We've done all kinds of things. The funny thing is, is like we did like you know, when we put out the um, the uh, um, Hustle Army Takeover record, mm-hmm. the vinyl for that was a seven inch of every song with a different B side. Yeah. Okay, those didn't do trif- terrifically well. Really? No, they did okay. Was that Henry Reptile that put that out, right? Or no, that was uh, an Ipecac. Oh, Ipecac. Okay. And so those didn't sell. Like we, I ended up with tons of those records. I think that's also just because that's like. That was almost like the trough of vinyl before, like, you know, like, you come back in the mean, 90s. People now. didn't freak out about yeah. it. And then, so, like, we'll take them, like, I'll take them and go, okay, well, let's just take this cover, we'll make a new cover, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I've got a letterpress cover and put it out there. It's not like they're flying off the shelves. Yeah. Also, two, three, even at like 25 or 30 bucks, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is massively rare. And so people will walk up and go, oh my God, I want it. Never. Yeah. They'll, they'll buy it eventually. Well, this is already released. Yeah, right. You know, exactly. So what do you collect? I collect all kinds of things. Art? Um, I collect some art, um, uh, vinyl toys to some degree, um, weird stuff. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. to put it. Uh, books. You know, I love books. But the vinyl toy thing is, me and Hazelmeyer uh, have, uh, Hazelmeyer and I have, uh, um, the whole way that we do the records with him is based on how the vinyl toy world works. Okay. You know? Which is you are happy with what you get and you don't think, well, we sold 500 of these so we could have made 5,000. 
No, you move on. Yeah. You do that little bit and you move on. And then you do another little bit and you move on. To the next project. Right. And you don't worry about, we've cut out the middleman completely on that. There's no distribution at all. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the interesting thing. The, the, um, and they do well. They go right out quickly, you know, and they're expensive to make because we don't, you know, we don't make 2,000 of them. We, we don't get to the price break, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're paying the maximum amount for the vinyl that you're going to, I mean, right now, a 7-inch record costs, you might as well just make a 10-inch. Yeah. It's so expensive. I, I don't know that we'll ever do another one, you know. Really? I doubt it because they're too expensive. You might as well just make a 10-inch. And also the plants are all booked up now and it's like harder yeah. to make this stuff now. It takes about 12 weeks. Yeah. Just plan for it in advance. But, uh, not one single record store has ever contacted Hazemeyer and said, we want to buy these records from you. Mm-hmm. Not ever. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that? Because there's less and less record stores, you know. And now, he said, he said like, back in the 90s, he would have record stores that would call all the time, you know, because there was a lot of record stores. Now there's hardly any record stores. So they are used to getting everybody coming in there and kissing their ass. Please take these records. Yeah. So they're just sitting there. Now, now we'd be more than happy to sell them records. You know, but I am not going to beg. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go down there and go, please take these records. That's not me. But not one single record store has ever said we could take those records, we could buy them from them for what they're selling them for, and make twenty or thirty percent on these. Not one. Yeah. So they must not be doing so bad. And so then, what comes along? Record store day. Okay, as if these guys haven't had a good enough deal this whole time. <laughs> now you're going to make a whole day for them. You know? Are you kidding? Well, the record store day thing isn't even about, like, what you were talking about before when there was a lot of record stores. Like, this was about saving those stores. Now it's about the big box record stores getting, you know, a day where they can guilt people into coming in and spending too much money on their issues. I, I, just, I just think it's like, you know... Some, some special not, release yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have any interest. No, I, I believe me. That's not my... That's not what I collect. I, I'm, I'm no. 20... I'm like... At least twenty years past selling everything. To, yeah, they always say you don't like anything, also, right? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I mean, I'm just not. You never did. Yeah, I'm not really a collector. You know, I just, I, I you know, yeah, I'm just not. I mean, it's just not anything I've ever been into. I mean, I understand why people would like it, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's just nothing I've ever, ever really, you know, been interested in. I guess. And, and the stuff that we do is a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and and. There's nobody else doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, but I think that's because you're like, there's no other band like you guys with the fan base like you guys have. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know. You know? Like, who else could do it? Like, we talk about Poison Idea. Like, you know, they they were too fucked up. To yeah, you know, they couldn't have gotten into it. There's other people that do stuff here and there. You know, like like there are people that do stuff, but like not like I'm talking consistently over yeah. the course of their career, right? Like that have always been. You know, like one of those amphetamine reptile singles uh, come out, like the whole series of them, like way back. Oh then. yeah, yeah, those in the nineties. Yeah, like so, like it's like you know, how many years now? Still. Yeah, a long time. Yeah, we've been doing that kind of stuff for a long time, and the thing about that is, is Tom and I understand how that kind of stuff works, and so we always make things. This will be really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll hand carve a cover. They'll be silk screened. My wife will do printing. Like letterpress printing, we'll do all kinds of things, you know, um, that will uh, um, puts the uh, it puts the humanity into it. It has your thumbprint all over it, which I don't know anybody else that does that. It's too much work for most people. Mm-hmm. They won't do yeah. it. They're not going to go down and hand stuff five hundred records I've, consistently. And I've I've, you know? I've definitely learned a lot watching how 
Buzz and Tom Hazelmeyer do things, you know. And, and other people involved around have definitely picked up on, oh, you know, that's, you make a small amount of stuff, like the artwork stuff, you know. I mean, I'm, I don't know how many homemade posters I've made, but... Thousands. Thousands. But that's the thing that's awesome, thousands. too, because that's like a, a one-of-a-kind piece of artwork. People always come up and people say... People don't get it. Yeah. People always come up and say, it's cool that you're doing all this stuff because it makes this even more interesting or cool or mm-hmm. whatever. You know, I can go and buy it. And no one's sick of it yet, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like keeps on going but that that was from learning that through you know buzz and being out with them and stuff well that's got to be one of the best art values in the world like where like what pusshead's gonna give pusshead art i don't have a lot of never do it or like petty bond or anything i don't have a long time ago yeah a long time ago but i'm saying 2018 like you know yeah it's the best art value in the world i mean it's the best yeah it still keeps going yeah no, but I'm saying, like, even, I'm saying as a fan, even, like, coming to the show, like, to get, like, a, a piece of a artwork. record and artwork yeah. and uh, this and that. And, you know, people seem happy. And you know it's not going to be the same next time you come. And no. you know it's not going to be the same. It's real stuff. It's re- Yeah. It makes it, it's and, real stuff. I think that also, like, your sets, too. Like, you're, like, you know, not that you'd ever want to be compared to, like, one of these jam bands. But at the same time, like, like you could trade Melvin's audio recordings there's, there's from great, different tours. There's a Grateful Dead sort of, somebody made the connection of the Grateful Dead. Uh, it was uh, Clifford. Uh, Clifford, actually, because he's a big, one of the guys that tour managers at times. Yeah. He's like a really big Grateful Dead fan. And he always thought there was some interesting connection between, not musically or anything, or even fan-wise, but just how... Cult-wise. Cult-wise. Yeah. There you go. Cult-wise. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's strange. No. Yeah. Because I would have loved a recording of uh, that tour. We saw you guys in Nashville at the Exit Inn. That's that one of good. my favorite shows that I've ever fun. seen. Yeah. Um, but like that's like we a played re- there a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. This was like, I guess, I must have been two times ago when you were. That was when you guys were doing your live record. We did our live record there and they came over. And it was like. Oh, was that. Oh, what a night. Jeff Pinkus. I know. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Oh, shit, man. You can take over. It's <laughs> like a time for you to eat. You're, you're going to have a hell of a time. Time for me to eat. Thank you. I don't know. This is the most, most schizophrenic. No, this thing is going to interview. Everyone's interviewing themselves as they walk in. There's Dale Kroger and Jeff Pinkus. Hey, look. It's Jeff Pinkus and Dale Kroger. Wow. Where'd we come from? Wow. I guess it might be time for me to get, get going. Why don't I stop this for a sec then? Thank you, Brian and Buzz, for coming on the show. And Brian and Buzz, I, I think it's safe in assuming we'll be back in the future. And also Dale and and hopefully Pincus and definitely Steve McDonald will be back in the future as well. Um, you got a little bit of it there. They popped in. You know, there was hope of doing more podcasting later on, but we got caught up watching wrestling. One of those things that tends to happen when I hang around, you know, it's just to happen. But anyway, they will be back for future episodes. Speaking of future episodes, next week on the show, it was a, a future episode that allowed me to catch up with a good friend from the past. Next week on the show, ex-Iron Age, ex-Coptic Times, but now known kind of worldwide, actually, very famous as a motorcycle builder, uh, a bike builder, um, Matt Jackson of Jackson choppers he is someone who uh really you know i I've, I've known him for a long time as you know this straight edge power lifter you know guy in a 
hardcore band, but now he's a biker and an amazing builder of uh, vintage Harley Davidsons. And yeah, it's a fun episode. That is next week on the show. That's why I love this show. Cause you know, one week you got, you know, the band's band and next week you got the, the bike builders biker and, and the week after who knows, you know, I, I, I kind of got an idea, but like, who knows, you know, anyway, thank you everyone for listening. As mentioned last week on the show, I'm going to start saying this, um, please sign your organ donor card. Uh, you know, by the time they come looking for them, you're not going to need them and it could make the difference in someone's life in a major way. So please do it. Um, cause you know, you save a life, you know, that's what it actually does. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Go out there and make your own culture. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I will see you next week. Um, And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening.